Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk technology, computing, the internet, um, things that fit in our pockets, uh, all kinds of things, or don't. <laughs> um, this evening on the desk, we have uh, Maze. How are you, Maze? I'm good. I'm a little bit sweaty, but it's nice to be in the coolness of the studio. Yeah, it's a good spot to be for an hour just to get out of it. Yeah, um, you can't smell me yet, so it's, I think that's all. You smell good for right. radio, though. Um, have you had a good week in tech? Fair? It's all happening. It's sort of like, you know, Byte started back up again and so has my hustle for the freelance. So, yeah, yeah, business. Business is coming back up. All business. Yeah. Mr. Dan Salmon, how are you? I'm very well. It's exciting to be back for the first time this year. You've been building stuff, but not necessarily uh, mainframes. No, I, no. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yes, no, I like what you did there. Bed frames is what I've been building. But mm. I, I do, when, in my like summer off Byte, I make a conscious effort to be as little connected as possible so this mm. is this is me getting back to like you know using my hands which mm. i've almost forgotten how to use other than my thumbs so like it's, it's an exciting <laughs> thing to be doing and there's a lot of mistakes that i've made but it'll be okay i'll just like party them over if you haven't seen a photo of dan picture like a t-rex his hands are kind of like fairly <laughs> small but they're they're, they're they're growing now and um and pulsing i'll, I'll have all those soon it'll be great <laughs> Uh, I'll be on the show with you tonight on Warren Davies and we do have a good show coming up tonight. Um, if you're hovering over the button, um, stay with us just a little bit longer. Uh, we have Digital Rights Watch. Um, they do stand up for our digital rights in Australia and uh, also helping to look out for our private affairs this Valentine's Day, which is interesting and very cute. Uh, we'll be joined by Sam De Silva uh, in a second to talk about their current campaigning uh, on our behalf. Uh, so stick around for that. Uh, also, uh, Pause Fest, which is a uh, an annual event of tech creativity and business, was held last week in Melbourne, um, up the end of Jeff Shed, and uh, one or two of us got along to the tenth birthday event for Pause Fest. We'll have a bit of a chat about that later in the show too. But before then, there is heaps of stuff that's been happening. Uh, we'd like to share some of those things with you, Maze. Yeah. Samsung Unpacked happened. Yes, which is their big um, roadshow where they reveal of their new devices and some software and those sorts of things. And we have seen some of Samsung's phone, new folding phones in the past. There was a bit of the uproar around how these vertically folding phones um, had these cracks in the middle where the screen folded, but now we have horizontally folding phones, mm. which is a fancy way of saying flip phone. I'm sorry, that was ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> um, Flip phones without the buttons on the bottom. So it's still one long screen. And then also while it's closed, you can still um, take pictures. You can still see sort of like, you know, Apple Watch amounts of interactivity. Mm. I just I just want a smaller phone. Like, just give me a smaller phone now. <laughs> I'm sick of all these enormous phones. I, I, I feel like I've always missed the boat with regard to like a flip phone. I've always wanted a flip phone, even back to like the like early the late nineties. Yeah. Well, no, the, the before that. Did you that, never have one? Well, no, I've managed to like whenever I have you know needed a new phone on my contracts up and I buy a new one. Yeah. 
they're out of fashion. No. <laughs> so you, you can't get one. The, the first phone I ever Those wanted. Those 10-year contracts that you're on. No, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I wanted a, was it an Ericsson T28S? Remember those in oh. like no, 1999 or 2000? Nice. All of my friends at school had one. I was like, yeah, yeah, I want one of them. And then you couldn't find one. I had to get one of the Nokias that everybody else had. And then, you know, three or four years later. Oh, yeah. You know, um, everyone had the Motorola Razors. Yep. And I ended up getting one of those like slide phones with the kind of thing Ooh. that always. But they always broke. They were useless. And now we're, uh, now we're back to um, flip phones again. But I don't do Samsung. So uh, I probably will be missing the boat on this one again. Well, we've got to wait to see, you know, when the when the media and stuff get them, if the screen is broken again. Mm. Like, does it make a difference that it's flipping one way and not the other way anymore? Like, mm. what's the deal? All I can think about is how scratched up the screen must get. Like, what's the kind of protectant um, finish on the screen? Because mm. to me, it looks like the screen sits against the screen when it, when it shuts. Oh, so if it gets a bit of grit caught in the middle, it'll just like yeah. mess with it. Yeah. Cosmic dust. Well, anything. Well, at least um, it won't be like keys against it anymore. Well, not on the inside screen, but you've still got the exterior screen, don't you? Oh, that's true. Now we have so much more screen. Um, they did release uh, a few other bits and pieces as well. Um, it's getting pretty exy. The uh, S20 Ultra 5G is the thirteen ninety nine, which is really up in the luxury goods kind of um, That's uh, in US area. dollars too. Yeah, Ooh. nasty. And Galaxy Buds, there's a picture here which looks like someone's dropped them in Vegemite, which is a great press photo. Um, mm. uh, I don't know. Maybe that's what they think uh, happens down here. They're not... Um, <laughs> They look a little bit odd, these guys. Uh, it looks like they, they do get maybe a little bit further into the year uh, than some of the other buds uh, on the market. Um, but, yeah, they've just had an upgrade. Um, I hadn't actually seen these ones before. Um, I guess that's kind of where they're at with those. They're the Reeboks of um, buds. Yeah, everyone's playing catch-up. They are. Um, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, which I think is um, out in front, uh, n- not so much catching up, is a um, cool use of um, AI. Um, we've talking, talking, spoken a lot about um, how uh, cars are using uh, external cameras and uh, prediction about where pedestrians are or where bikes are or what have mm-hmm. you, small animals on the sidewalk, whatnot. Um, but we haven't really spoken about how um, cars are using sound and uh, um, artificial intelligence to... I guess, um, curate and direct our drive or, or ride. Um, a, a German um, piece of technology uh, is implementing um, sound and basically sucks it in from various directions around um, a car uh, in this prototype, um, removes some of the, um, the noise, background noise, uh, mm. road noise, and then picks up on what else is happening around the road. Mm. So other vehicles. Um, this one was interesting. Um, sirens as well. So it can pick up sirens. It knows which direction they're coming from, the type of siren, uh-huh. and then reroutes you based on, you know, it's a fire truck or it's a um, police car yeah. or, or what have you. I guess it's a little bit similar to some of the headphones coming out where you can say, yeah, cancel out all the noise, but if someone's trying to talk to me, bring that in. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, that's a, that's a cool feature. Does it, do, does it say anything about picking up things like footsteps? Like if there's, you know, a kid running in front of the road, anything like that? Ooh. No. But I think um, I think it's good. I think I mean things like automatic braking and, and stuff like that um, become really interesting. Um, mm. the, the, um, no, what's the answer to that question? Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that uh, does interest me as well is if it's listening on the outside, by default, are they listening on the inside? And should we be concerned about the conversations Ooh. that we're having and and what's going on? Surely all of the cars are listening on the inside. You say, "Hey, car, play this music or whatever." Mm. That's a good point. They already, they're already listening. Already listening. Um, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, so that's going on. Um, 
Another thing that's going on are journeys to Mars. Yeah, so um, there's a really interesting article in Wired that's come out in the last little bit. Um, have we, there's a lot of, you know, talk about moving, going to Mars. We're going to build rockets. People are going to be, we're going to be colonizing space and ruining it just like we've ruined this planet. Is this a ScoMo idea? You I know? think so, yeah. Resilience? But, um, <laughs> God. So resilient. He's so resilient. He just won't go away. Mm. Um, but there are some people who are actually turning their thoughts to the quality of life for humans on other planets and Mars, you know, being the, the first port of call, so to speak. Um, there is an organisation uh, at MIT called the Space Exploration Initiative uh, founded by uh, Ariel Ekblad, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, who have um, been giving some thought to the kind of things we might be eating and how they might be grown in these air, in these kind of, you know, different environments. You know, are we going to be adapting and, you know, making things out of algae? Are we going to be growing cultures in petri dishes and eating that kind of thing? And it's not just about eating it's about creating like a vibrant and i suppose rich human sensory experience when you are on another planet because there hasn't been a huge amount of thought put into that thus far uh, an interesting thing that they've kind of uh talked about in the article is you know they've been doing some tests on um uh, what what they call the vomit comet which is basically a plane that uh you fly up into the air more or less vertical and then the engines cut out and you just plummet to the earth and, and it simulates um weightlessness mm. so uh they've used this for you know decades for to help get astronauts to actually you know train to be um to be astronauts and deal with weightlessness mm. uh they do they call it the vomit comet for a reason yeah. um you can you, you can actually do it go, go on it yourself if you've got a cool five grand us um, I mean, that's so much cheaper than what Elon Musk was, was touting. Well, this know, is which it. Which is like 200 grand. Well, yeah. And what's his, what's his name? Richard Branson's like selling plans, like, you know, seats on his plane, which doesn't even go up into space for like 200 grand. That's no, ridiculous. So for five grand, you can go to NASA and be weightless for 20 seconds. It's almost it's almost worth it. But it, look, it's a really interesting idea. Have you guys given much thought to how you, like, if you were to go into space and to actually live up on Mars, yeah. would you want the creature comforts that you know at home as you are or would you be willing to do a bit of experimentation to kind of see how life is well for me it's always been the draw call like when i was researching how to save up to go to mars (laughs) (laughs) what'd you you do do? on a tuesday (laughs) night you know you know some of the like they had a lot of medical tests about being really fit and about being really really good and i was like you know what i don't get those fitness things can't check those boxes but you know what i will i'll hold a concert you know i'll they, they need musicians in space, don't they? Absolutely. And this is the yeah. thing. So the Space Exploration Initiative have, like, their goal, their stated goal is to bring together artists, scientists, engineers, and designers to build a real-life Starfleet Academy, which, you know, my inner trek is. Yeah, my inner trek is really what? loving that. And, like, when you look at the US Space Force logo, which looks exactly like the Starfleet uh, logo, let's not go into that. But, you know, <laughs> it's about creating the richness of human existence that has evolved over hundreds of thousands of years to where we are today, somewhere else. Yeah, and I just think about, like, you know, all of the years that it takes to get there, there's so much new culture that you would make on the ship, new musical and artistic ideas, that you would have a whole different, like, Mars culture of art. There you could play your really dark hip-hop. Yes, (laughs) great. In in space. (laughs) (laughs) In space, no one can hear you rap. (laughs) Um, 
another back back here on earth uh, a Melbourne games design team is actually um, looking for a bit of help so if you're not going to Mars uh, perhaps you could uh, chip in on this one um, they're looking to uh, translate some of the untranslatable worlds words of Melbourne and uh, and surrounds um, uh, 64 ways of being is uh, in the early stages of game development it's going to be a, a bit of everything a um, bit of VR AR and uh, a few other technologies but um, if you would like to join in uh, we'll tweet out a link to to the uh, survey um, for words that should be uh, in the app because it's looking to explore uh, the diverse languages of, uh, of Melbourne. Um, there's some good examples um, here. Um, this has come via uh, RMIT's uh, Senior Research Fellow, Dr. Troy Innocent, who's working on, on this game. Uh, the Portuguese word uh, sordade, I think I'm saying that right, relates to the feeling of nostalgia or longing for a personal thing that is distant or now unreachable. Um, um, but we don't really have uh, anything like that in English. The closest phrase we have is to feel nostalgic for wanting to spend time with someone. But the, you know, um, There's some interesting other words. Um, uh, so uh, in local language, in Woiwurrung uh, and Bunurong, uh, Nugal is denoting a sense of belonging. Um, uh, a great Danish word, uh, higi, uh, hug. Hygge. Hygge. Uh, what is? Do you know what it means off the top of your head? Hygge is. Um, it was. A, it was a bit of a fashionable thing a couple yeah. of years ago. So basically, what it is, it's about getting really cozy with your friends in like a kind of cool, like. <laughs> Oh, cushion, yeah, basically. Well, right. no, like in, a, in you know a small room with lots of cushions and candles and alcohol, mm. and be like basically be Danish and pretend that it's you know zero degrees and very dark outside. Yeah, cozy, um, cozy. <laughs> Elithuromania, Elithuromania, the intense irrepressible desire for freedom in Greek, and Sevda in Bosnian, the amorous yearning and ecstasy for love. I actually knew a person called Sevda. There you go. Well, there you go. Were, were you amorous and ecstasy, ecstatic with them? No, it wasn't like that. <laughs> um, really. Um, but uh, that's great. If, uh, if you have a thing for language, uh, Georgia Webster, if you're out there, um, maybe get onto this one. Um, we'll tweet out a link to that survey. Local games team needs your help on uh, words that we should be translating. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Listening to Triple R with Maze Dan and Warren, and Bite Into It is the name of the show. And we are very pleased to have a representative from Digital Rights Watch uh, Australia uh, here in the studio, Sam De Silva. Um, they are doing some good stuff, but Sam, you'll explain it a little better. Uh, thanks for coming in tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me, everyone. What is Digital Rights Watch for people who don't know? Sure. I mean, Digital Rights Watch is a not for profit. We've been around for about uh, three or four years. And our mission is to empower and enable Australians to protect their online safety, security, and digital rights. So we want to make sure that the digital world that we're all living in is safe and secure and we can flourish in that world. But at the same time, we want to make sure that everyone's privacy is protected, um, they feel safe and confident, and that there isn't, you know, any any impediments that might uh, allow them or that might block their access or ability to express themselves online. Mm, it feels like the battleground right now. I feel like there's so many business models and, and, and tools that we sort of take for granted where, where it is actually a trade-off of our rights and our privacies and our, our behaviours. Do, do you feel there's a really strong sense of that out there in the community or are you constantly trying to kind of get this on the agenda? And 
So there is definitely, I mean, the surveys that we've done suggest that 70%, 80% of Australians are concerned about privacy online. But at the same time, I think, you know, many of us have given up mm. and we accept the compromise or the trade-offs that we made in terms of being able to access these technologies. But having said that, I think still, you know, we deserve the right to, you know, have a certain level of privacy, security, safety when we are engaging with others online. So that's what we're trying to promote and defend all the time. Absolutely. And and so you, you say that you feel like sometimes people might have given up and we've gone a long way down this road where people have been compromising their privacy. Can you see any like practical way that we can walk it back and actually get some of that privacy back? So I think there, that movement has started to happen. And I think there is more and more kind of pushback towards the, the digital platforms that are trying to, you know, basically not intentionally, but just take advantage of our information um, and our personal information especially um, and to utilise it in ways that we don't necessarily want that to happen. Um, it's a slow progress uh, forward, but things like, you know, the use of secure communications that people are switching off from SMS, we're noticing a lot more people using uh, apps like Signal, um, which, are, which give them much more security when they communicate online. Uh, we know that people are using VPNs, virtual private networks, to access websites as well that um, give them a safe sense of um, a safe ability to browse online. We know people are moving away very slowly, but from Google search to platforms like um, DuckDuckGo. And DuckDuckGo is a really interesting search engine which doesn't keep track of what you're searching for. So it's happening in small ways. Um, in hap and it's happening within small groups of people. I know within schools, there's a lot of parents that are concerned about um, online safety, online security, and they're also adapting to safer practices. So it's a slow move forward, um, and it's going to take a while. But I think we are, uh, we've kind of, we're, we're right like at the early stage of the environmental movement. I mean, I think that's an analogy that a lot of people are using. Um, so it's got, got a long way to go, and it's a slow buy-in from the public. And we've got events coming up like the Crypto Bar, which um, Digital Rights Watch is really um, proud to sponsor and support. And that's an event that just teaches and shows, you know, anyone who wants to learn more about being safe online, how to be safe online. So that's kind of loosely tied in with Valentine's Day, which is coming up this week. There's some stuff, I think, on the Thursday night. But tell us, tell us a little bit about that and also about, like, what, what's the message behind sort of Valentine's? Yeah, correct. I mean, so... The crypto bar in Melbourne is happening on Thursday night, tomorrow night at 6 p.m. It's in the city at the offices of ThoughtWorks, um, and it's themed loosely around love. So it's about you know how to be safe and secure when you're using dating apps and how you're um, engaging with others um, online. So there's going to be some speakers who are going to talk about some issues related to that theme of love um, online and dating online. Plus, there's going to be basically desks with geeks there who'll show you how to actually install some safe apps on your phone, uh, check your system in terms of, you know, making sure that it's digitally safe and sanitized, um, teach about VPNs, virtual private networks, um, and a whole bunch of other things. So hopefully, you know, there'll be a bunch of friendly nerds and um, they'll help you uh, get yourself safer and secure online. Nice. 
Maze, I was going to ask, as maybe one of the three people in the room who's built the most digital products, <laughs> making making games and so forth, what, what kind of um, uh, hurdles or concerns or kind of things have you had to confront around privacy or have you not had yeah. to think about it at all? Well, it's interesting uh, with the new European laws, we... Um, about how much data we can get from players. And so if we want to track um, some amount of data from players to see where in the game they're going or what choices they're making, what characters they like or don't like or where they're paying attention a little bit more, there is now a lot more hurdles for that. Um, it used to be very, very easy. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's the main thing. As far as safety also, I guess we're talking a lot more around kids and we're talking a lot more around gambling as well. Is that something that the Digital Rights Watch also looks at? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're very concerned about the algorithmic mm. kind of nature of technology in terms of the technology itself. I mean, there's nothing wrong with technology. It's the application of technology that we're concerned about. And the um, the design, the intentional design of technology to, you know, make gaming apps, for example, addictive. Mm. And that's a big part of gaming culture, I know. But I think there needs to be some kind of uh, rules and, you know, restrictions, especially when you're dealing with kids um, that need to be put in place. And that's something that we're, we're touching on and we're doing a lot of research. There's the, the other thing to note is that this is a really, you know, it's a new space and there's a lot of um, discussion and debate that's required in terms of how we deal with this. Um, so it's an emerging space. There's a lot of academics doing more and more research. But yeah, it's something that we're really concerned about. And with, with that is also facial recognition technologies. Right. Um, you know. Oh, like Snapchat filters, that sort of thing. They turn you old. Everyone says that China is harvesting my face. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like that. In so many ways. In many ways. Oh, <laughs> yeah, many a ways. lot of ways. Okay, um, yep. But I can still see it. It's there. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's just not the version. Yeah, it's a different version. It's pink. <laughs> um, but no, it's in terms of our public space. So as we walk down the street, mm. you know, there's a there's concern that the cameras are being installed with facial recognition technologies that enable us to be tracked and monitored. So as we walk down the streets, you know, the technologies identify who we are, where we are going, and then the the concern is what that what happens to that data yeah. and mm. how that's used. I saw an interesting, um, uh, a couple of things connected to the coronavirus outbreak in China. Um, there's a, a public map of who has it, where they are, um, and their status. What? So, like, when they were confirmed actually having it. So, you can actually see that data. And there have also been, I've seen some videos of drones going out, actually encouraging people to go back inside. Like, hey, Andy, you shouldn't be out there and like watch out for that. So, the drones could actually, Whoa. if you link those two things up, they actually know that person's affected, they're outside, they're doing something untoward. I thought of that, like, so, you know, if everyone's wearing a mask in order to keep themselves safe does the facial recognition work through the mask so or i think around yeah. the mask? i mean i think that's one of the creative responses to facial recognition technologies mm. is the the use of masks yeah. and makeup and there's a whole kind of movement now coming up well la that. La last year there was some um, a bit of uh, i suppose controversy is the right word but it made the news where there, there was a guy in the uk who was covering up his face in order to not be recognized by cameras and he got arrested for covering up his face <laughs> um so you know we see laws like that in the uk where you know things aren't really going particularly well and we're almost you know two years into the i think Maze, you mentioned the the, the eu's general data protection mm. regulation so we're about two years into the implementation of that is have we learned anything from there that we can apply in australia yet, or is it still a bit early to well, tell well i mean I, th I think it's it's still early i think the lesson learned is that we need to kind of really pause on this some of these technologies before deploying them in the public and really start thinking about 
um, frameworks and regulations that might need to be put in place in terms to safeguard the data that's been collected. And that's what our campaign is all about in terms of not banning, I mean, we're calling it banned facial recognition technologies, but it's really to put a stop to it in the public domain until we understand it a lot more and understand its implications, especially the negative sides uh, yeah. of it uh, a lot more. And I think we're still a, still a ways away before that happens. In the UK, they've just launched live um, facial recognition scanning. Um, the, the Metropolitan Police have just launched that today. So they're, they're, they're analyzing your face and comparing it with 5,000 who are wa on a watch list. And the, the, the challenge at the moment is that this technology isn't super accurate. So mm. it's known that people with darker skins, mm. um, you know, it's not really accurate. And a Scotland, Scotland Yard research project from a couple of years ago found that approximately 70, 70%, 80% inaccuracy. And they're relying on that for law exactly. enforcement? Exactly. So, um, I mean, the technology is obviously going to improve, but right now I think we just need to kind of pause and go with yeah. the do no harm principle, take a break and just really think about this seriously. So there is a uh, there is a, a crowdfunding campaign out at the moment um, through Chuff.org, is that right? Correct, yeah. So, I mean, if, um, you know... Digital Rights Watch is a volunteer, mostly volunteer-based organization, and like Triple R, we're reliant on the public support. So we've got a crowdfunding campaign going to support our facial recognition surveillance campaign. Um, and yeah, just go to our website, digitalrightswatch.org.au, and you'll find a link there that'll get you to the facial recognition project and the, the link to the crowdfunding project. So if anyone's concerned, be great to support us. Um, also, we're really interested in hearing from anyone who wants to kind of get more involved in um, digital rights, privacy online, and, and the issues around that. Um, we're really looking for support um, and get your involvement. Uh, we're hoping to do some meetups in the near future as well, and mm. it'd be great to see more people coming in. Um, if you're really curious, may as well just get along to these events later this week. Absolutely. Come along on Thursday, tomorrow night, and um, we'll definitely be there. I'll be there as well. And, um, yeah, it's uh, Conroff, Elizabeth, and Collins Street in the ThoughtWorks building from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Again, if you go to that website, uh, digitalrightswatch.org.au, there'll be a link there. Or there's another site called um, friendlynerds.org, which will get you, get you to that um, event. Have you, have you had any similar ones before? Like, have you had any friendly nerds meetups or, or anything like that? I mean, there's been a few crypto bars before. Mm. And, I mean, they're really great because it does allow anyone who, you know, to come in and just learn a little bit more about these issues and actually install some kind of uh, some software and apps that improve their security and safety. Mm. So they're really effective and lots of fun. It's going to be food and beer as well. Nice. Uh, Sam DeSilva, thanks for coming by uh, and telling us a little bit more about uh, Digital Rights Watch. And, uh, yeah, we hope to bump into you as one of those friendly, friendly nerds. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. <laughs> this is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Hey, you're listening to Bite Into It on Triple R on a Wednesday night. Uh, we're really enjoying your company. Um, we are going to talk about, um, I guess, a very Melbourne event. Um, it was Porsvest's uh, 10th birthday uh, last week. Uh, they ran the uh, three-day event. Um, 
in a new venue up the end of the uh, exhibition buildings up near the Pollywood side. Um, and uh, it was big. Um, it's Have you folks been to exhibition buildings recently or, or ever? Yeah, I mean, years ago. Like it's a yeah. gigantic cavernous place where you, you yeah. know, generally go to the boat show or something. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm there maybe five times a year. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think of facilities generally? Like as a place to go in Melbourne? Um, oh, they do not have gender-neutral toilets and the disabled mm-hmm. toilets are not on every floor. So there's... It's not great. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the cavernousness makes me a little bit anxious. I gotta say, but I suppose we we need like spaces that large to hold large events. I guess, but yeah, yeah there's something about it that doesn't wash. And also, Jeff Kennett. Had, um, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that, that, they're all good reflections. Uh, I think. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I liked the event at um, uh, Fed Square, but I kept um, mm-hmm. an open mind. Um, it kind of it always felt like we were overflowing, and I, I remembered on the last day that they used to have this um, saying that it's good to bring everyone back together in the one room at key points during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it makes sense from a programming point of view, so you can all kind of like reflect and wave and what have you. But. Um, I think it was actually okay. It was kind of it was not in the main part of um, the exhibition um, buildings. Um, it was up um, another end, um, and the the actual like the fit out and the rooms and the um, audio visual and the design and stuff actually worked really well. There's kind of, there's something about the kind of angularness of um, the the building, and um, mm. I, I guess the aesthetic of Paws Fest and this kind of like you know um, brave new frontiers. Um, some of the rooms were kind of like a little funky and weird, but um, the kind of marquee room, I caught like a, one of the big talks on the Friday morning by Netflix and it was great. Like the sound was booming, the audio visual was yeah. great. Mm-hmm. They were streaming everything from all these cute angles. Like it was, it was really strong and I kind of felt a little bit proud of Melbourne going, Aww. yeah, you mm-hmm. know. We're, we're we're up there with um with the best. I tell you what, the catering at the at the exhibition centre is on point. <laughs> they they are smooth and that food is good. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, true. Just so long as you don't need to go to the toilet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where are they? Who knows? <laughs> um, so yeah, pause fest was was Wednesday to Friday. Um, I think uh, I think Vanessa got along. Uh, I, I got along for a, for a bit. And um, if you haven't been, it's uh, I guess a, a weird mismatch of um, sort of what's what's breaking now in technology. Speculation about stuff from the future. Um, there is a bit of organic grassrootsy stuff. It's good to see um, up and comers uh, hosting panels, running panels, um, generally being hosts. I think George does a, a good job of sort of finding interesting new people coming through, um, which is good. Um, and also, I guess people who've kind of like paid their way in the door and you know um, mm. got their logo up in the door, so they they want to talk about some stuff. But you know, if, if you know how to look for what you want to see, then then that's fine as well. Um, so I caught up with uh, a few things. Um, I, I caught the, the um, Netflix talk, which was interesting. What um, were they talking about? Mm. Uh, they were talking about uh, it was a product manager and uh, Stephanie was talking about, um, interestingly, not just Netflix. Um, Stephanie worked on the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign. Um, oh, ooh, okay. And um, <laughs> talked about sort of like going door to door and working on a grassroots campaign and having no money. Um, they kind of had um, these pair headbands. So when things worked and like things kind of came off or they like won a primary or something like that, they had these pair headbands like as a cultural thing. Um, I'm just thinking now about the sort of billion dollars that Trump's about to spend on his campaign. Yep. And go, yeah. They're going to have a lot of pair headbands there. Yeah, no, it's funny because you mentioned she was working on the um, 
Hillary Clinton campaign. Yeah. And that just reminds me of that documentary that Netflix had up a little while ago about, I can't remember her name, but she worked oh. for Cambridge Analytica. And oh. um, she went, like, ba- she started working on the Obama campaign yep. with no money and being, yeah. you know, like really. I suppose, you know, supportive rah-rah. Mm. And then, realized, like, something happened with her family. She needed to make some money. And so mm. she went over and... Uh, worked for Trump. Worked for Trump, basically. Yeah. Worked for Cambridge Analytica. And then has, like, after all the horrific events of the last four years, has kind mm. of, you know, had a fit of conscience and tried to kind of blow the whistle. But that mm. also completely bolted. Mm. So I can't remember the name of the documentary. Well, you, if you want to have a look bit more up. of a chat about it, I will look it up and tell you what it is. Um, so, yeah, Stephanie talked a little bit about that and then moved on to um, the life of a, a product manager at Netflix and essentially it being, uh, I guess, two businesses. They've got the studio where um, uh, it's all very instinctive, um, uh, a little bit like a circus. Um, everything's done on paper. Um, relationships are really important. Um, yeah. Some of this might start to sound familiar. Yeah. Um, and so that's the studio and then there's the product team, which are very uh, analytical, um, super focused, um, right. you know, very time and motion based um, and bringing those two together and she talked about how she has to do that and run sort of lots of road shows and there's lots of building bridges between teams and, and so forth so i was wondering because they've hired a lot of um narrative designers from games recently to do mm. more of those branching narrative i'm not sure if you saw the um black mirror episode that was interactive yeah and yeah they're looking for to do more of those branching mm. narrative things that we've been doing for since games were made. Mm. Um, <laughs> no, not the job at all. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're catching on. Mm. Well, was, yeah. She was talking about sort of the depth that goes into animation. I guess they're kind of having this DreamWorks Disney kind of moment where they're realising, oh. you know, what they've bitten off. And mm. they're like, if you see a blade of grass, a person have thought of that, a person has storyboarded yep. that, a person has <laughs> done it, a person rendered it, a person, you know, animated it, what have you. So um, so that was good. It was, a, it was a big kind of talk and, you know, everyone sort of wanted to be there and stuff. Um, then I uh, caught um, an interesting talk from um, a, a startup and uh, I guess an entrepreneur, um, Michael Beerchuk, talking about uh, Q Control, and they're working in quantum computing. Uh, so he's got a bunch of um, friendly geeks, uh, as nice. Sam would call them, and also a bunch of um, uh, researchers and uh, different types, not hugely diverse, but but um, um, getting there. Uh, looking at, um, I guess, the next generation of um, how we process data and, and information. Um, and the interesting thing is, as one sort of person asked in the thing, how do you build firmware for hardware and software that doesn't exist yet? Mm. Um, so they're kind of in this um, middle space um, working as a protocol between computers that aren't quite up to speed and software that's that's kind of being developed as well. And Michael spent a lot of time in um, uh, academia. Fortunately, in Australia... Uh, another place where we're leading the world is uh, quantum computing and research, um, and it's famous. Australia's famous around the world in our network of universities um, for um, uh, very generous and great grants. Um, very smart people, um, people from all around the world come here to work in quantum computing. So he's been working in that um, for a bit. Um, uh, a lot of the talent is now working or sort of headed towards uh, places like Q Control, um, and they're trying to figure out um, uh, how to harness the power of the qubit. Um, so in my crash course in quantum computing, um, both during the event and during the interview with Michael, uh, sorry, Michael, um, we talked about qubits, um, which is this interesting thing. Um, uh, obviously, one of the ways that we um, capture information um, in uh, uh, ones and zeros is one electrical circuit controlling another electrical circuit to render a piece of information. Um, but a qubit can be both a one and a zero at the same time, and it's a superstate um but the interesting thing is the um, the 
the um, the calculation and um, the the circumstances around it degrade in about one one thousandth of a second. So you've got a, oh. a, a, mm. a fraction of a second to make it to capture the information and to kind of do something with it right. before the whole thing's gone. It's so um, um, yeah, so ninety nine point nine percent of the the power um, of the the. Uh, computations they're doing is is lost at the moment so technology is kind of working Mm. on doing something about that they're doing things such as working at low temperatures um slowing them down but um it kind of the the general so this has kind of been going since the 80s or 90s they made big step forwards in theory in the 90s and they reckon they're at a point um they will be at a point in about 10 years where it starts to be commercial commercially applicable and really easy to do things such as uh, researching drugs um, figuring out sort of um but sort of human um, behavior patterns uh, all kinds of things so they're kind of working in the control space which is the the name sort of q control but i don't know talking about a whole bunch of stuff that was um very savvy um and i I kind of only had an inkling of um, yeah it's interesting like you know programmers now are still learning new things about okay now we have computers that are really really fast i have to think about code in a different way (laughs) and now now we have to factor in temperature to our code is that that what you're saying (laughs) yes sort of like old school like synths and hardware yeah. synths and stuff where it was like oh it's a hot day it's sounding a bit lazy at the moment <laughs> <laughs> like you know particle physics like you know creating mm. a creating a new thousand atom like molecule thing i don't yeah. know I'm, yeah. I, I'm a scientist clearly. <laughs> but you know creating new elements by bashing uh protons into thing and then they have a half-life of a billionth of a second and there's no ab- practical application for this particular element that they've invented it. but they've invented it so well done. yeah it was fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's interesting i think we'll have to keep an eye on it um they, they sound like they're kind of quite quite ahead of things but um I, I guess the rest of us need to catch up a little bit before they can really put the pedal to the metal um i also had a um a st- Stopped into a session um, uh, run by uh, Microsoft and uh, Byte alumni uh, Rita Arago, who was involved in the show uh, early on. Uh, she's now a, a digital advisor to Microsoft, uh, chief digital advisor to Microsoft uh, uh, here in Australia. Um, and she brought along uh, a mate of hers, uh, Kenny Singh, um, who's got a degenerative uh, eye condition. And he's kind of heading their security efforts around, um, I think, the... Um, mostly the inclusive design practices that they're working on at the moment. He's been at Microsoft for about 20 years. Um, uh, super cool guy. And they showed us heaps of great stuff um, that Microsoft is doing to, I guess, um, build stronger technology and build, I guess, primarily, this is where the dollars come in, stronger businesses because more inclusive mm-hmm. businesses are stronger businesses and smarter, deeper, um, more empathetic um, and so on. Um, so... I started the chat sort of going, Microsoft, right, okay, you guys are in it for the dollars, you're going to lock this down, you're going to like freeze other people out. Um, that That's kind of a, a general kind of hang up I have about them from, I don't know, maybe a little while ago, but it's my default. So I said, like, what's going on here? This stuff doesn't sound like um, the sort of stuff that you guys have been doing historically uh, around software in particular. Um, what's going on? Um, so... Their, their internal point of view is that um, CEO uh, Satya Nadella has brought in a different culture. Um, he's got um, interests in um, inclusive design and um, I think the idea that um, more inclusive is smarter and better for everybody is also good business is, is probably mm. something that they're working on. I started thinking about um, for example, a couple of years ago for the um, Xbox, they worked on all these great um, different configurations of controllers. So Yeah, uh, the new with, accessible controller is very cool and they've got a lot, 
there's a lot of hackers just taking it and using it to control all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, someone had even hooked it up to a Nintendo Switch. Oops. Um, <laughs> what do you know? Like, how would you describe it to people who haven't seen, you know, um, people of various abilities yeah. playing with controllers? Yeah. So um, basically what's being used most at the moment is, so it's about an A4 size, A4 piece of paper size. Um, and it's got two really big buttons on it and a couple of faders. And then, but on the back of it is all of these little ports, which is basically every single button that's usually on an Xbox controller. So now you can plug in anything you want into those ports and mm. map it to what would have been on the Xbox controller. Mm. So people are making whole new controllers mm. and just putting that new adaptive accessible controller in the box so you can't even see it anymore. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's opening up things and it's, it's very hackable. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. You should, you should see the look in Maze's eyes as you say that. Yeah. <laughs> There, um, there was a bit of a hint into the kind of one of the things that they're interested um, in in this area is um, so much of our time online is spent uh, gaming and they've hit to the fact that um, people with particular needs play games in particular ways mm-hmm. and if they can connect them with other people who play in that way, they play for longer. So, oh, very cool. Yeah, we don't like playing with people who are, we all know this, people who are super good or like always pick that character that always beats your character or uh, you yeah. know all of those kinds yeah, of things. So. Sense. They're looking for this nice kind of, uh, I guess, symmetry um, in that. Um, they're also doing some, I guess, just basic, um, good, uh, inclusive stuff. Um, if you go to the um, site, um, if you just Google Microsoft um, uh, Diversity, um, there's uh, heaps of resources here. They just started with some good basics for like web designers and UX. Like you can check your site up here and we'll evaluate it. Um, we'll show you where you're doing things wrong. Um, some of the things that you um, need to think about. Um, there was a good, um, I think, tweet that came out about uh, inclusive inclusivity. Like equality is being invited to the dance. Inclusivity is being asked to dance, um, which was um, kind of nice. Um, something I, I don't always think about. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It almost, I mean, I'm skeptical as you were at the start where, you know, as, as developers um, we're often taken advantage of by Microsoft and Xbox. But then also, um, we were just off the air, we were talking about unionization and there are a lot of Microsoft employees striking because they don't want to work on certain contracts and, you know, how inclusive is working on military contracts that mm. kill hundreds of thousands of people, you know. Mm. Um, so it's interesting to think about these. It's such a huge... Huge yeah. company. So They'll be evil in some parts and little... great in some parts. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so there's also um, some great projects where they're doing things like, um, um, so, you know, we, I guess our default uh, point of view on drones here is they're a little bit weird and evil and a little bit stupid, um, but they're doing great things to track where geese go in particular um, wetlands and then encouraging geese to come back. So they've done these great projects going, where do the geese like to be? Oh, okay, local park rangers, that's where you need to address the area, like you're putting the plants in the wrong spot or like car parks next to the breeding grounds and now the geese are coming back. So um, it's interesting. I'm sure I'm sure they're doing it because it, uh, it helps their bottom line and I don't know, there could be some grand ulterior motive I'd like to think there is as to why they're doing these things, but the fact is they are doing them um, and maybe in the short term I'm just going to take it at face value and say people are asking for them, people are enjoying them, people are playing the games and, and so forth. So mm. that's a good thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, it was kind of it was quite a quite a big week. Um, I think the only thing I would kind of ask from a programming point of view is, um, 
uh, a chance for a little bit of um, uh, repose where you can kind of like collect your thoughts. Um, it kind of feels like everyone's coming at you at 100 miles an hour, sure. um, which can sometimes be good. But um, there was a lot of kind of like shagged out people on Friday walking around going, oh, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I'll be back next year. If you've never been, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, uh, yeah, there's not quite that many like it uh, in Australia. Um, so yeah, for better or worse, there it is. Awesome. Uh, it is coming up to the end of our show. Uh, thank you very much uh, for having a listen. Um, uh, it's exciting to be back for the year and there's still uh, a few more uh, good folks to hear from um, over the next few weeks. Um, thank you very much to our guest, uh, Sam, from Digital Rights Watch. Um, also to our uh, podcaster and uh, our talks producer, uh, Elizabeth McCarthy. We've been bought into it. We'll be back next Wednesday evening. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.